Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me, your host, Paul Swindell. Today's episode is about things that ICD owners should know. So what this episode is not is me giving medical advice. I'm not a medical professional. If you've got a deep worry or concern with your device or anything to do with your ICD or cardiac health, Check with your doctor and get some personalised help, not from someone who's on the internet or in a podcast. Having said that, there are many great resources out there that can help allay some of the fears and worries that people with an ICD often have. And so in this episode, I hope to cover many of those things. So who am I? Well, if you've been listening to this podcast, you'll probably know my story but I'm an SCA survivor, Sudden Cardiac Arrest survivor, and I've had an ICD for six years. I founded Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK, and I've participated on online support groups for pretty much all of that time. I've got a Boston Scientific ICD, and I've had some issues along the way, but it's mainly been a good story. I had a post-implantation problem with a vein occlusion, As I'll explain a little bit later, with an ICD, you have a lead going from the device down into your heart, and typically that will go into a vein. And for me, in a very small percentage of cases, that can cause a problem. And because I had a particular vein type, that meant that the lead caused a blockage, and that caused problems with my arm. It took a while to actually get that diagnosed properly, and... Fortunately, I didn't need any further work to actually resolve the situation and my body has gradually corrected itself and it's no longer a problem now. So the question you may be asking is why do you have a defibrillator or why possibly are you going to be getting a defibrillator? It may be that you've been experiencing symptoms that are caused by an abnormal fast heart rate. The normal sort of heart rate that's considered normal is between 60 and 100 beats per minute when you're not doing any sort of strenuous activities or exercise. So you might be experiencing things like lightheadedness, dizziness, palpitations, fatigue, some sort of chest pain or shortness of breath or even fainting or syncope. Or of course, if you're a member of Sudden Cardiac Arrest UK or any other Sudden Cardiac Arrest groups, there are other others, you may have survived a Sudden Cardiac Arrest. Uh, just want to point out, though, if, if you have had a sudden cardiac arrest and you're listening to this and you don't have an ICD, don't worry. It's worth noting that many people are in that same situation. And that's because it is likely that you've had remedial work done. So that could be medication, stents, uh, bypass or even implemented lifestyle changes. And these are done to actually address the cause of your arrest and your heart is considered otherwise healthy. So why put a device in? Don't be afraid that you don't have one. Consider this a good sign. Having an ICD isn't always a bed of roses, as as I found out in the initial period. And it's far better to not have one if it is safe to do so. Trust your doctor's. 
If you don't trust them, then get another opinion. Don't just listen to people on the internet, but speak to people, get opinions. The doctors want the best for you and they want you to survive. And you know, putting in a device is not a, a small thing. It's only a relative small procedure saying that, but the actual maintenance and care of the patient is obviously increased over time because of all the care that has to go with that. So what does an ICD do? As I said, it prevents your heart from going too fast. This is known as a tachycardia, too fast being over 100 beats per minute. In the lower chambers of the heart, it's called ventricular tachycardia. And if it progresses for too long, it can go into ventricular fibrillation. You may have seen this as VF, and the previously ventricular tachycardia is also known as VT. And if you go into VF, this is where your heart quivers and is not doing any useful pumping. This is a life-threatening state. And if you've had a cardiac arrest, that is what you would have gone on to, or most likely you would have gone into. And as we know, the survival rates from this are not great. Most ICDs can attempt to pace you out of the first state, the first state being the ventricular tachycardia when it occurs. And this is called anti-tachycardia pacing. You may have seen it as ATP. And if you have that, you may actually experience some sort of strange sensation when that's going on. You'll know that something's happening with your heart, but you won't feel a shock. You just feel something's uh, not quite right. If the ATP doesn't manage to pace you out or you go straight into VF and this is where the ICD is there to get you out of that VF. Basically, shock therapy is designed to stop and then restart the heart, which is ending the useless quivering that the VF is. It's also worth noting that ICDs often have a pacemaker feature to also prevent your heart from going too slow. This is also known as bradycardia, although this isn't their main task. People sometimes are also prescribed beta blockers or other medication that are designed to slow your heart down so that it doesn't go too fast, but it can also bring your heart rate down low. They will put in a lower threshold onto the ICD to prevent you going below this certain level, and it will make sure that you don't go down too low. But quite often they will tweak your medication so those situations don't don't happen because they want the the ICD to do as little as possible so that the battery lasts as long as possible. What is exactly an ICD? It was invented by a remarkable Polish man, Dr. Michel Morawski, and he evaded persecution from the Nazis and Soviet authorities in and after World War II. He sort of recognised the potential of such a device, I think it was in the 60s, but it wasn't until the 70s that the sort of development of the device took place. And the first implantation in a human took place in 1980. Back then, they were quite big devices. But as technology has progressed, we've, or they have managed to shrink them down. And they're roughly the size of a, a packet of raisins or something like that. But it, it varies from manufacturer to manufacturer and with the, the different types, as I'll explain in a second. 
They're typically titanium encased uh, and they have a, a thing called a pulse generator in them and they also contain a, a lithium battery which typically has a life between five and ten years depending on what it's going to do in you and there's a whole bunch of electrical circuitry and a, a, a central processor you know essentially it's like a little computer and they have capacitors as well and the device is attached to one, two, or three leads, uh, or wires, some people know them as. And the original type of ICD was called a transvenous ICD. And as I said uh, uh, earlier, where I had my problem, it means it uses your veins. But there's also a newer type, which is probably around four or five years old, and it's called uh, a subcutaneous ICD otherwise known as SICD. And this fits under your skin and has no leads that go into your heart, whereas the ICD has one that goes into your heart. SICDs are typically implanted on the left side of the chest next to the rib cage, and the lead is implanted just under the skin above the breastbone. So it, it doesn't actually go into the heart. It sort of creates a circuit around the heart. So if it's called into action, the electrical charge will pass through the heart. Whereas an ICD, as I said, will go have a lead that goes through your veins and the actual device is implanted in usually in the left shoulder area near the collarbone, either just below the skin or in certain circumstances, it can be under the pec muscle. If, you, if you're someone who I know, perhaps does some particular sports or is very active or you need to carry things over that area, you might actually want to ask about having it implanted under the, the pec muscle. But I believe it's a slightly more involved procedure to do so and the recovery is a little bit longer as well. I mentioned that you have leads or wires and you can have between one and three depending on what your health condition is and why the ICD is there. These are the things that will actually deliver the therapeutic shock. When we talk about wires people think oh they're quite stiff and things like that but they're very actually very flexible and they're they're made of sort of silicon and some other materials or polymers I think and they're almost snake-like rather than being something that's electrical wire that you might think of. And they're designed to, to move and go with your body, as it were. So the leads have one end will be screwed into your ICD and the other end will have a, a kind of fixing called a, well, there's two types. You can have a, a screw-in or a tine, which is a bit like a, a little grappling hook. I'm not going to talk about the actual procedure of having an, an implant, although I think it's generally a fairly straightforward procedure these days. I don't think they call it an operation. But once you've had it, the key thing is to keep the wound clean because you don't want to get an infection here. You've got, if you're having a transvenous ICD, you're having a wire that goes from the device down into the heart. So getting an infection on that, which could lead into the heart, is not a good idea. So be very, very careful about that. One of the other things that you shouldn't do is, is raise your arm above your shoulder for at least six to eight weeks. Make sure, although you should keep active, make sure you don't do anything strenuous or involve significant upper body strength. So don't strain your arm. Just take it easy for that first six, eight weeks. 
you usually get a follow-up appointment to check the wound and device and check that it's functioning okay. They may do, well, they will do some tests and they'll explain how it all works and maybe even you could ask them to show you any things that you should be aware of. Your device is then typically checked every six or 12 months and you you quite often in the early days will go to the hospital for that because it's not only just the the actual device they want to see, they want to see you and see how you're getting on. You may also get a remote monitor which allows your cardiac team to keep an eye on your device remotely. And this can give you extra assurance and, and does reduce the hassle in having to go to the hospital. For example, at the moment, I, I have my device checked every six months. One of those I have to go to the hospital but one of those is just done with a phone call and it literally takes about five minutes. The appointment is arranged ahead of time. They check my data before that phone call is due. Then they phone me up and say, Paul, this has happened, that's happened, or everything's okay. Touch wood so far for me, everything has generally been okay. If you're a little bit nervous after getting your implant, or even if you do sports or activities where you're a little bit worried about getting your device uh, knocked or anything like that, do remember that they are tough devices. Titanium is a very strong material. and They're inside your body and could even be underneath the muscle. But you can get some protective products that help allay those fears if you if you're a passenger in a car and you've got a seat belt that goes across it maybe you want some cushioning on that or if you do a particular sport where you're worried that you might get it banged there's some very high-tech products which you can either just wear over the the actual icd or some have a special kind of shirt with a pocket in them where you can fit them in everyone should be encouraged to be active and do things but you shouldn't be worried that you're going to hurt your ICD or it's going to do any damage. It's very, very unlikely. And for a list of some of those products and some more details, go to our website, scauk.org slash protection. So the big question, the elephant in the room almost uh, for a lot of people is, is what is a shock like? I'm fortunate so far. I've had my device for six years. I haven't had a shock. So I can't tell you from personal experience, but I've seen many people describe it. I've been in various groups and I've done polls on it. And there's a wide, wide range of uh, experiences. And I think a lot of it is the fear of having a shock is, is probably worse than actually having a shock. It's also worth saying that the shock is just a temporary feeling it comes and it goes and hopefully you'll be back to normal after it, depending on the reason. Some of those people describe it as I didn't even notice it and others describe it as a kick in the chest by the horse. And I guess it could be anywhere in between. It obviously depends on a person's pain threshold and at what point the shock is delivered because some people may pass out before the shock is delivered. And so if you're passed out or unconscious, it's quite likely you won't feel anything. Whereas others may be fully conscious and you know, may be geared up for it, waiting for it to come. 
and maybe they're they're hypersensitive at that point. So it may feel worse than it actually is, or or it may be that bad for them. All, all ICDs are programmed for that individual's needs, but typically they will be set to deliver between 20 and 35 joules. This is compared to an external defibrillator, which typically ranges from 120 to 200 joules. Some people ask, will you get a warning if you're going to get shock? Now to that is that it will vary. The device won't give you a a warning. It's not going to start beeping and say you're going to get shocked or anything like that. But some people may not feel right. They may feel dizzy or have some of the symptoms that I mentioned earlier. But others, it will just fire seemingly out of the blue. So it, it, it all depends. It's also worth mentioning that I just said about the the device having an alert feature. They do. Many of them have what's called an a patient alert where the device will beep or vibrate and these do not indicate a shock is coming but usually something needs to be investigated either with the device or your heart and I'll I'll talk a little bit later about some of those sounds. So what do you do if you have a shock? If your heart is back in sinus rhythm which is what the device is designed to do you may just want to rest. You know, I've heard people say, I had a cup of tea and five minutes later, I got on with my life. I was perfectly fine. And that is what they're designed to do. And that's what you want. Many ICD clinics will want you to call them and possibly do a download via your home monitor or they want you to come in. But often, you know, if you're feeling OK, that is it. They, they won't want to see you. However, if you have multiple shocks within 24 hours or you continue to feel unwell, you should seek medical assistance where you can be assessed as to what is actually going on because your device may need changing, your meds need changing, or you've got a problem. It's also worth just talking about a couple of other types of shock. There is the shock where your heart is gone into VF for a particular reason and it needs shocking, that is called an appropriate shock. There are also inappropriate shocks, which are therapy that has been delivered by a device but was not actually required. There are various reasons why this occurs, including a malfunction or incorrect programming. Research shows that these can be between 10 and 24% of all actual shocks, but Since those reports, which were a few years ago, they are diminishing as technology, that is the devices and the programming of the devices and the settings, and medications as well, improves. There's also another type of shock called a phantom shock, and this is where the patient perceives that they have had a shock, but no therapy was actually delivered. And again, research has shown that approximately one in 10 patients experience a phantom shock you know people will think did i have a shock then or maybe they wake up dreaming that they've had a shock and they're not sure no one will know if you've had a shock that is appropriate inappropriate or a phantom one until your device has been checked the device is recording all of the time 
And so the ICD clinic will be able to tell when they um, assess your device and look at the data whether any therapy has been delivered and whether it was appropriate or not. And this is where the, having the remote monitor comes in handy because you can do a download, give them a call, and that they can uh, assess that if you're particularly worried. Touchwood for me, I've only had one occasion where I've had to do what I'll call a manual download. The remote monitor for me is pretty much automatic. I didn't get one until about a year after I'd had my device implanted and basically it's just a, a small box that sits in my bedroom and has a green light on it pretty much all, to, all the time indicating that it's working and then when I'm in that room and I think it's overnight my device will contact the remote unit and download any problems that I've had which hopefully is, is none and then upload that data to the clinic. It doesn't go directly to the clinic. I believe it goes directly to the, the manufacturer of the devices, and then your clinic can interrogate that data. Remember, your device is a backup device. An ICD is a backup device. Ideally, it will do nothing but monitor your heart. If you prescribe medications, make sure you take them when you should. If you've had other remedial work, that should lessen the chances of, of your device being needed. But if you do have a shock, it's possible that your device or your medications may be changed. And some people can be quite anxious of all about that. So make sure that you don't suffer and that you get some sort of counselling to help overcome your anxieties or fears, or even just join join some of the, the Facebook groups or other social media groups because hearing what other people's experiences are, generally they are very, very good devices. They're very reliable. The treatment is short and swift and it will save your life or they're designed to save your life not to shackle you in worry so you know make sure that you you try and get over your anxieties and fears i know some people do get shocked and then they're forever worried that they're going to get shocked again because it's not always a nice experience and sometimes you can be in a position where your shock can put you in a in a in a dangerous situation but i think as you get on with life you tend to realize that the likelihood of these is fairly minimal and it's just the same risk probably as getting uh, you know potentially run over by a bus so don't have a device and then not live your life the device is there to help you live your life one thing you could do is, is have a shock plan so that you and your family know exactly what to do if one happens. Ha having one can take some of the stress and worry out of the situation if it actually arises. For many people, the worst part around having an ICD is the implementation and getting used to it. It can take a while for it to heal and get comfortable sleeping, etc. You're going to notice it and you may fiddle with it too. Try not to do that because that can lead to something called fiddler's syndrome. But over time, you will hardly notice it. And if your heart behaves and the, the device set right, it won't even do anything apart from just monitor you. Often people are worried that it will affect their daily lives 
But I think it's probably more common that their underlying condition and not the ICD that will do that. But saying that, there are some areas of life that the ICD will or may affect. And they can be things like driving, traveling, interacting with devices that give off electromagnetic field, having further medical procedures, doing exercise and activities, and when you come to the end of your life. So I'm just going to talk about some of those things. When you have an ICD and you want to drive, this can be a, a quite a complicated and confusing subject, and, and I probably will do an episode in its own right. But basically, if you have an ICD implanted, it's your responsibility to inform the authorities in the UK, that being the DVLA. And if you have an ICD implanted because you've had a cardiac arrest, you get a six-month suspension from the date of the implantation. If you've just had an implant because of a precautionary measure, i.e. you haven't had a cardiac arrest, then the suspension period will be shorter. If you have any of the following, then you will also have to serve a further suspension. A shock, the device or the leads have been changed, your programming's changed, or your anti-arrhythmic drugs are changed. And you have to serve a further suspension, and the length of that suspension will vary depending on what's happened. A common question is about travelling. Some people have fears about going on a plane or even going to an airport and going through security, but there is no reason not to. The devices are perfectly safe in all types of security and on planes. There used to be uh, many questions around this subject, and it was partly because of old devices, typically ones that are more than 10 years old. They could have been affected in some small way, and so patients were advised not to go through security machines. But this has changed now as technology of the airport security and all their devices has changed and so there is no real risk you can go through the archways just like anyone else does and i've done so myself i used to go through and have the explain to them I, you get an icd id card and i'll i'll show the card and just explain that i've got quite often i'll just say pacemaker and they'd understand and then then they would scan you down or take you to a different machine uh, they might even wave a wand over you if you're not at an airport, just sort of a, a venue or concert type of security. Just ask them not to wave that over the device. But even if they do, and it's only briefly, it's not likely to be a problem. The devices are, are strong and any interference is just likely to be minimal. And there's probably no chance that it will actually set off a, an airport or other security alarm. For a little bit more information, have a look on their website, scauk.org slash travelling. I talked about electromagnetic interference a little bit earlier. All machinery, all electrical machinery can generate an electromagnetic field. And this can vary in quite often by the, the size of the machine and the size of the magnets. And these can interfere with your ICD in a couple of ways. It can stop the ICD from seeing the electrical signal from your heart, so essentially sort of masking it, or it can confuse it by sending signals that can be misinterpreted by your device. 
And the result is that the ICD might not do its job properly and not fire when needed or fire when not needed. This interference will just be temporary. And if you move away from the source of the EMI, then the issue will cease. They won't damage, reset, reprogram your device. So don't be worried um, about that. And it's easy to be too overcautious of, of avoiding things because you think it's you, you could potentially get damaged. But generally speaking, the smaller the device, the, the smaller the potential interference or problem. Most of the um, ICD makers have compatibility guides that they publish, and you should check the guide for your device. We have links on our website, seauk.org forward slash ICD dash electromagnetic dash compatibility. And we've got some links to the main manufacturer's guides. Typically for smaller devices or appliances that emit electromagnetic interference, the guidelines say stay at least six inches away from the device and larger ones can be around two foot. And it's also worth noting it's not just the the distance away from the device, but also the length of time that you're using the device for. If it's a short time, then the likelihood of a problem is very low, whereas prolonged use of an item that is known to generate AMI is not recommended. Many household items like phones, hair dryers, handheld power tools are usually safe if you adhere to the distance and time rules. And although not electrical, you should also keep magnets away from your device as they too can affect it. And powerful ones are actually used to disable the device deliberately. I'll just give you a list of some of the things that are known to cause a problem and you should minimise interaction with them. Running motors. If it's got an alternator, don't lean over your car engine while it's running or or motors in general, electrical motors that generate EMI. Don't go near them too much while they're running. TENS machines, jackhammers, body fat measuring tools, neurostimulators, arc welders, electrical fences, metal detectors, magnetic mattresses and chairs, and stun guns. And that's not to say that you can't use them under all conditions, but you should just generally should be very wary of them if you are going to use them or just use them for very short periods and as under the guidelines set out by your device manufacturer. If you're going to have a medical procedure, having an ICD implant may may add a few complications. For example, if you need to have an MRI, it's a possibility that you won't be able to have that. But many of the more modern devices, ICDs, are MRI safe. And a lot of the makers of ICDs are retrospectively adding in older models. They're going back and checking. This used to be a big concern, but I think more and more models are are compatible. And we've got some information and links on this subject on our website. So go to scauk.org forward slash ICD dash MRI dash compatibility. For other medical procedures, they'll often have to turn your device off, and but they will have a crash team in who has an aid, an external AED present just in case of emergencies. 
And if you need to go to the dentist, most dental equipment is okay these days, especially the more modern devices. But you should always inform your dentist that you have a device and medications. But I think these days dentists are quite thorough in their checks. If you're up for doing exercise and activities, studies have shown that doing exercise is good for our health, be that physical or mental health. So we should try to engage and continue doing it where possible. As I said earlier, it's it's your underlying condition that is the limiting factor and often not the ICD. Some conditions are not suited to raising your heart rate unnecessarily as they can cause problems and potentially trigger your device and actually doing sport and exercise as that can actually reduce your long-term chances of of getting a shock so it is worth engaging if you did sport before your SCA or before you got an implant then do try and get back to it and it's quite likely depending on your condition that you can get back to it and I've seen many Many, many people with a device have safely gone back to doing regular exercise and you know, and some of them have done some amazing things, you know, running marathons, walking huge distances, cycling as well, and even competing at high levels and you know, some of them done some of the slightly crazier sports like scuba diving and rock climbing and other ones just playing crazy things like bungee jumping and abseiling and and zip wires. So if you want desperately to do some sport or activity, do check with your doctor that you can do it, but it's quite likely that you will be able to do it. Of course, there are some sports and activities that you should really, really be wary of doing or talk to your doctor about participating. Those ones where perhaps you have impacts like rugby or football or martial arts because you know there is a potential for damage to your device or unsettling of the device. So the actual device may not actually get damaged, but it may cause unnecessary uh stress on your heart or cause problems elsewhere. Many people don't want to think about is the end of life. And, you know, an ICD is designed to save your life, but there will come a time when you don't actually want it to do that. And it's worth knowing that when that time comes, you will need to get the device deactivated. It may be worth discussing this with your loved ones before the time is due so that when the time comes, the decision can be made in a controlled way and the person can pass with a dignified death. It's not a subject I'm going to talk about too much, but there are booklets available that can help you with that decision and they're available from the British Heart Foundation and Resus Council and various other organisations. I talked about it a little bit earlier, and that's the patient alert feature of an ICD. And I bet a lot of people didn't actually know that the device can actually make sounds and potentially even vibrate. These are designed to let you know that something needs investigating. You know, it could be that you're in a magnetic field, as I talked about with the EMI, or you've had a therapeutic shock or the unit needs replacing or, or it's got an issue. 
the different manufacturers have different sounds and different tones and I'll give you a sample of some of them now. This is a Medtronic one. This is the Boston Scientific one. If you go to our website, scauk.org forward slash ICD dash sounds, and we've got a whole bunch of videos and some other audio recordings. If you need any further help, as I said, I've mentioned a number of links on our website, and we've got lots of information about ICD devices, a load of stuff that I haven't even mentioned today, but also do ask questions in SCAUK on Facebook and there are various other ICD and SICD specific groups which are really worth joining. There's the website asktheicd.com which is uh, run by Medtronic but generally applies to all makes and has quite a lot of questions and answers on there and you can ask, in theory, you can ask experts and they will reply back to you although when I posed a question, they never never replied to me. And finally, another good resource is Douglas Rachak's YouTube channel. And he's an ex-Medtronic employee and ICD owner and has been a former guest on the show. Check out episode 19. And he's got lots of great information and useful practical tips for you. So that's just about it for me today. And I hope you've enjoyed this and found this useful. I'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. This concludes this episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast, and I'd love to know what you think. And you can do that via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the website suddencardiacarrestuk.org. And you can find us by Googling Southern Cardiac Arrest UK or the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast. If you have found value in this or other episodes, please help spread the word by leaving a review on your podcast provider such as Apple or wherever is convenient. And don't forget, if you want to know more about Life After Cardiac Arrest, check out our books, Life After Cardiac Arrest, on Amazon. Make sure you click subscribe and I'll speak to you next time.